Guys, welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. We got new equipment. We sound good as hell. We even took about a 15-minute practice run here. But you know where to find us each week. We're on Twitter, at Fans Working. We're on Facebook, at Dave and AJ. I think there's a Working Fans Podcast page. Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod on Instagram. And Working Fans Wrestling pod at gmail.com guys and we are officially David, recording david don't forget about my snapchat ladies <laughs> they can find ways to sue us later we don't need to give them all of it now now we just started <laughs> we just started talking for about 15 minutes that nobody heard about yeah nxt this week i think it was yeah, absolutely, guys. No, well, it was AEW. I'm a fucking AD. moron. No, well, AJ did talk about that shoot firing. Go ahead, AJ. <laughs> That's what I was going to do. I was going to go into it like like we didn't talk about it the first time. Nah, <laughs> AJ, we're real, but go ahead anyway. <laughs> Son of a joke. All right, fans. Like us, I'm sure you're heartbroken. We already discussed it. Dave doesn't know what to do with his life now. The Robert Stone brand was actually fired in a very interesting angle after Chelsea Green actually pulled off the win with Charlotte. He was fired on the YouTube version of WWE backstage afterwards by Chelsea Green. And basically she said, hey, I got the rub from Charlotte. I won this week. I don't need you. What do you guys think? I think it was so important that uh, WWE NXT said, put this on the YouTube page. Forget that, clown. Where does Robert Stone know Brand go from here? I'll tell you what. Hey, I'll tell you what. This joke, you can take it as a joke. This is when you know AJ actually really likes somebody. Because no one else is paying attention to that motherfucker. But AJ will actually give him a plug because he's actually interested in that guy. That's fair, I think. Well, I think what people are forgetting is that he was actually a hell of a wrestler at Impact. And he had the personality all along. He headlined the NEW show across the street from my house when they came to Jewett City uh, a year or two, a year and a half ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he's come a long way since then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being one of the 12 people that watched Impact every week, I, I, was, I was a big fan. But guys, yeah. let's talk about real news now. Let's talk about pairing up and citing end-of-the-show experience that was Mike Tyson and Chris Jericho. Dave, what did you think of this whole part? Okay, so like we were saying for the first time before we got into this here, this was a sloppy-ass segment. Your call is being connected. Yeah, fucked up. Hello. Ah, Jesus, hold on. Let me get you on the roadcaster. Yeah. Guys, it's not a smooth day today. 
So, Dave. Did Von Eric call you also? <laughs> no, Dave. Those damn Von Eric boys. No, I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. I was dicking around with my phone, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, shit. I don't it's think I'm connected anymore. <laughs> I, I was like, Dave, um, Joe's calling me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think things are well. All right, Dave. <laughs> so, Dave, you were talking about that pull-apart angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How awesome was I it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's try this again from the top. <laughs> Tyson's the shit. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I hope AEW didn't pay a lot for him. <laughs> it was the great Rick James. We should have never gave him money. Anyway. <laughs> It was the weaker of the celebrity appearances as of late, right? Like, I did we all build it up in our head that we thought we were going to get more from Tyson, or when Tyson's put we on the we were getting Tyson and Austin. <laughs> now wait a minute, I got, exact, I got exactly from Mike Tyson what I was expecting. I got unpredictability and a cluster Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eddie was I don't yawning. Know what you guys were expecting from Mike Tyson. But I'm telling you, that is exactly what I was expecting from Mike Tyson. There was a bonus. That white, fat dude with the face paint they called Gooch. I mean, he was something special, wasn't he? Yeah, Mike Tyson comes out with three or four of the baddest guys on the planet and the Gooch. The Gooch. <laughs> now, right. that was pretty big last week, but how about the death of Hana Kimura? That made it a past wrestling, I would say, even. Ah, man, what a sad fucking week it was last week with, you know, Shad dying, the anniversary of Owen Hart and having to watch that on Dark Side, and then Hanukkah just like, it was like the rest of the world was just getting beaten down left and right. Guys, I got to ask you a question. The big story this week when it came to Hama was the fact that there was an incredible amount of online bullying to her and social media bullying. I, yeah. I, I don't remember seeing that, to be honest with you. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I think that we can all agree that any kind of online bullying or anything like that is just a horrible thing. It's horrible, but it, the government of Japan is apparently going up to put guidelines against it, and it's not something I've heard of very often. Usually it's... Mm. I mean, the internet's just known to be a shit show, and it's almost kind of like you participate at your own risk. If you put yourself out there in a public persona, not that you deserve what you get, but, I mean, are you going to expect no. everybody to be a fan? What, 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 was was the bullies? what was the bullying? Anybody know? It had to do with a reality TV show she was on, and basically she was on the New Japan show, one of the New Japan shows earlier this year, where New Japan was working with Stardom. And uh, she had one of the matches, and it was a big deal. And uh, she was on this reality show. And I forget what happened, but one of the guys they liked on the show basically stuck her clothes, like, in the washer or dryer and ended up getting ruined. And she basically cut a promo and slapped the dude on the face. And she was pretty beloved, I guess. So people just started inboxing her, like, you should die, just fucking die. Oh, my God, that's horrible. But, you know, I mean... We're living in a time where people are quarantined and mental health issues are a lot more rampant now. and It's a different world. Obviously, well, that's, why I watch. that's why I get all my reality TV and wrestling. Listen, if, there was a, if this was fucking in the 1980s, 
and somebody went up to uh, Terry Gordy at Dallas, Texas, and said, you should die. He would have gotten knocked on his fucking ass. So the actual footage is out there. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that happened. It did happen. <laughs> I don't know if he actually said that, but it didn't matter. <laughs> he got close enough that he got fucked up, but... It's de- um, it's a different time though nowadays, and people. Yeah. I don't want to say they've become softer, but issues become a lot bigger now. Things get made out to be a lot. Yeah. Things become serious quick, especially when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. I just, I just uh, thought is- it was as of note. Also, in Japan, supposedly the country is opening up soon, and that means we could yeah. be receiving new japan empty arena matches soon which i'm quite excited about well guys one, one of the things i want to bring up with Uma again was do you think the quarantine and being stuck in one place and having to spend that much time necessarily on social media and being maybe alone during that time period do you think some of that added to the pressure absolutely but also too uh, that reality show where she was kind of made out to be the bad guy because of the quarantine, actually had to stop filming. So if they actually had continued filming episodes, people probably would have moved on too. But it was like the last image they saw of her as well. So, so yeah, it is that. And then even too, I guess there was some Q and A where someone asked her about you should come to the states and be in AEW, and she says, "No, I'm very happy in Japan. I like this." Of course, people's natural response was, "Well, you should die." But that's the fucking internet, and it's just a filthy fucking place at times, and. You know, but yeah, I think that that would probably help with her depression, no doubt. So. She was actually on now, the ROH G1 Supercard as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably confused state side. She just wasn't interested in being in state for long haul. Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you'd rather stay in your native country naturally, too. But I want to say something, actually, Joe. You were trying to transition. That's a tough transition. But you were talking about empty arena matches for New Japan. I just want to say that'll be interesting to see. We've been saying it for a long time now. AEW putting fans, uh, or I'm sorry, the wrestlers out there, fans, made for a better show. This week, the WWE did that. And I have to say, I hope New Japan does that, too. Because I think AJ will agree with me. That show was a thousand times better just by having noise. So this is definitely the way to go. I also love the fact that Jim Ross took a shot at the plexiglass. I, you know what? I did not miss that. And I loved this some Jim, but I was like, oh, that one was a little unnecessary, Jim, but I hear you. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely hilarious that he was able to take that shot. I, it didn't bother me. I just laughed. Here's why. Because Jim had said recently, I don't know why WWE doesn't put wrestlers out there. Is it because AEW did it? Is it an ego thing? And then they finally did it, but they revamped it a little bit. And I thought that was funny that JR still took the shot. But I love me some JR, and he's over in my book anyway. So, fuck it. Absolutely. So, uh, something big this week. I don't know if you guys heard or not. Number three promotion in the world, Impact Wrestling. (laughs) The other one running the empty arena shows, yeah. (laughs) They were able to sign... Uh, the biggest free agent, maybe from the women's side of wrestling, Yana Peraza this week. Still trying to slip in her DMs, huh? I hear you. All right. Well, <laughs> oh, wow. Did they a, get her? She is a big name. <laughs> that is but, a huge get. That is somebody that really, 
I thought was going to have a run in NXT and really bolster that women's division. I'm excited to see mm. wherever she ends up. I was hoping she'd come to the Northeast Indies again, but Impact Wrestling is just as good. I think it adds to the knockout division. And it does. It from another person who, because of her submission style, could be a threat for um, Tessa Blanchard. Oh, God. Her versus Tessa is the match I want to see now more than anything. Now, guys, I kind of got a question for you. Who do you think has been providing the best content during the pandemic? Because I've got a definite number one. Well, it has been AEW. I mean, that's not even a question, I don't think. Yeah, I think we definitely agree on that. Really? Yeah. Better than what NWA is doing? Well, hold on. Are you talking about different content, though? Yeah. Yeah. I I was just meant, like... Kind of, who's putting out the best stuff right now? And I kind of took it as, like, NWA is putting out the Carnyland show, which is spawning five separate shows. And Mm -hmm. since they're not having a ton of wrestling, they're putting together a lot of interesting ideas. And that's kind of where my thought process started. Joe, I like that. I like that they're putting out different content. But as a wrestling purist, I will always take a show with wrestling on it. Mm-hmm. For a show that is storyline based. Okay, so let me, because uh, I got to watch uh, everything this week. That's the one as far as like, I got to go, I even got to watch Raw this week for the most part. And it was actually even somewhat enjoyable. So well, I will tell so, you. You're so lucky that your bread stuff broke down. <laughs> yeah, man, right. Thank God, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> so uh, one thing they I got like us. earlier great, great having noise, great having the crowd. So, best wrestling uh, since the pandemic has consistently been AEW. Although this week, uh, NXT did step up. It wasn't the better show, but I think AJ was going to say this. They had the best match of the week with Timothy Thatcher and Matt Riddle with Kurt Angle and referee in the cage. I think well, if, you tune, if you tune into our YouTube channel, you will find out that I definitely thought yeah. that was the match of the night. And it, it actually raised <laughs> the show enough for me. Yeah. Oh, so you can tell. First off, I'm keeping up with the working fans' products. I haven't seen that video yet. Uh, it hasn't <laughs> gone up yet. It's going to get posted tonight, actually, when okay. I get in. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> I, was just a plug. I, was just, well, I was just getting a plug ahead of time. Yeah. No, uh, get your shit in, kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't put AEW over. We're trying to like do everything we can to get in that, get a question on that media scrum. <laughs> No, I thought I thought AEW was the better all around show this week. However, yeah. match of the night to me, Riddle yeah. Thatcher, absolutely phenomenal. They did a great job of getting Thatcher over as a piece. They oh, did yeah. a great job of having Riddle leave without looking like a sissy. And Angle was a presence without being too much of a presence. Agreed. And just to get to what Joe was saying earlier too about the NWA, inside the NWA in the first episode with Billy Corgan and Dave Pagaya, absolutely great. They pull no punches. They even mentioned, like, how they'd love to work with EC3 again. Eli Drake show, same thing. He talks trash on Impact Wrestling back in the day with some of the people he had interaction with. And he's very honest, and he puts over certain people. I haven't seen the recent insight in NWA yet with Homicide and Kingston, but I look forward to that. Oh, and yeah. And a very interesting, kind of a nice variety show. So NWA is putting out some great content. 
I would definitely check it out. And it's something different. And I feel like if you're invested in NWA, by the time they do come back with a studio show, this is the kind of stuff that's going to really build up the character. You guys, I got a legitimate question for you. When it comes to pure personality, is there anybody who's more entertaining than two of the people that have come out on Carnyland? Eddie Kingston and Eli Drake. I think the two of them are mm. extremely entertaining. Oh, definitely. Like, Eli Drake deserves a show, and Eddie Kingston mm. needs his own show. But, like, any place you can get him in front of a microphone is awesome. And, Dave, it's funny that you mentioned that about Carnyland being kind of like a variety show because I like it. It's a mm -hmm. little bit of the different personalities. And I watched them back-to-back -back last night, and you got Allison Kay doing her bit. Eli Drake yep. doing his. Joe Galley holds the thing together. I like the way Ricky it's all Dice. produced. On AEW, if there's one thing that I would absolutely get rid of, can Chris Jericho stop bringing Vicky Guerrero everywhere? <laughs> you know what? Before we uh, actually move on any other topic, too, we didn't even talk about FTR showing up finally this week. And I thought that was probably the big news, actually, for me, was seeing them finally show up in AEW and helping out the uh, young bucks, but also having the standoff with them still, too. I love the yeah, way they pulled that off because they gave you a sick six-man tag match to start the show with the Hardys mm -hmm. and the Bucks versus Janela and Private Party, which I sent my brother a message because he was at work that says, you got to see this match. And then suspiciously, 10 minutes later, I go... Did you see anything about AEW? He said no. I go, you you got one day to look it up before I spoil it. I popped huge <laughs> when these guys arrived. I thought they were going to play the field. I was hoping to see them up, pop up on NWA, but I'm happy they're sure. here, and I can't wait to see this tag division get that much better now because look at what they said Joe. when they left the WWE about wanting to bolster that division. So, okay. I'm going to ask okay. you something. Low-key, uh, and Andrew, you can time in too, but Joe, is one of your favorite tag matches, because I think we might have talked about this before, but I know it's one of my favorites. One of my favorite tag matches in the last several years is uh, the Revival versus American Alpha TakeOver Dallas, Texas at WrestleMania weekend. Oh, absolutely. That's a huge one. The Revival versus DIY was huge. Oh, sure. The Revival yeah. really... They have had, I'm trying to think of the other huge matches they've had, because they've had several high-level ones. But yeah, those are definitely both, like, top-level matches, best I've seen. Guys, I want to mention Tony Khan also for a second here, because if he's sure. the one who's booking this, and the one who's doing the transition, having Mark Green um, from uh, get injured, and doing that storyline where Matt's a gentleman and helps him to the back to get him out of there so that the blade of the butcher can attack. Mm -hmm. That was masterfully done. Yeah. Definitely. One thing I like, guys, is no matter how good our sound quality gets, we are still butchering names beautifully. We've called them both oh, Mark yeah. Green, and I believe you called them <laughs> Dave Lagania at one point. So he's yeah, Gar he's Garfield's favorite wrestling personality, naturally. <laughs> yeah. We uh, better call him Dave Lasagna. Hey. 
I now, want to get back to the point where AJ was saying Hanukkah, Hanukkah Kamura or something. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. I don't Nobody even to touch that one. I, I don't even it. know what that first name started becoming. I'm like, ooh, I'm staying away from that. <laughs> but it's actually Judaism's favorite wrestler, Hanukkah Kamura. <laughs> <laughs> now another show that's similar to Carnyland is the MLW Roll Call, and I noticed that MLW Pop Fusion debuted today, and the the Roll Call and the Pulp Fusion both seem to be that old ECW. You get a bunch of promos from guys in a short amount of time. Dave, you saw a Roll Call, you said, and you liked it. Pulp Fusion looked yeah. like the same thing, but I planned on watching it tonight. What do you think about, I mean, th this is another reason why I asked who's putting out the best, best content during the pandemic, because MLW is doing some innovative stuff between these and their anthology series, who Mance Warner was last week and Loki is next week. Yeah, and this something where the cops got called in this upcoming episode, court kind of teased with Gary Hart or something. Something happened where the cops, like, he pulled their gun out on somebody. So, look at that this week. Oh, shit. I, speaking of MLW, and I know you compared them to that copycat ECW, but <laughs> it, reminds, it reminds me a lot of early MLW and the style that they had with Steve Perino in some of those interviews. <clears throat> yeah, and I think this is maybe the most direct callback to that old ECW style that we've seen in the most modern reboot outside of maybe their tape, yeah. the way they tape. But yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, Don Morocco and Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> now, low key, he, when he was in the original run of MLW, he was with Black Friday Management, which Gary Hart was a part of. And they make a little. They made a little callback to that early in the modern MLW, but I'm really liking this anthology series between L.A. Park, Mance Warner last week. I'm a huge fan of Mance Warner, and just seeing a collection of some of his matches was great. And then you also like low key. Is there a better wrestler out there that you'd want to see kind of a collection of matches from? I think well, um, for me, it's nice that they're doing this, and I like it, but. Uh, that's all the best content. I would have to go, if we're looking at this strictly content with NWA, because it's a newer, fresher stuff. Like, everything's more brand new and a, like a behind-the-scenes curtain. And they're doing a lot more original stuff, though. But by no means, my, uh, if you haven't seen some of this older stuff, it's worth checking out. And they're also giving you little tidbits and stuff, like with this roll call where we're kind of keeping in touch with people. Well, it's also really good because you can see the evolution of MLW. And you can see some, I know I joked around about uh, ECW earlier, but you can see the maturation from being ECW light and trying to be a clone to what it is now. And when you watch the anthology and you see the progression, you see how good of a job MLW has done at becoming its own identity. Yeah, I, I actually want to shout out Crimson Mask Video. You can find them on Facebook. They're where I've gotten my MLW collections from. He does a great job of putting together a multi-disc Blu-ray with a nice cover. But like you were saying, AJ, when you have the whole run and you can see how they progressed, those early shows are a little hard to watch just because they do have that ECW but not quite vibe. 
And then once MLW gets it together, which I love the whole run, like just the way the promotions have always formed, the hybrid fighting, it, it's great. Do you guys have anything else kind of that's on your mind wrestling-wise this week? Not for me. My week's been in the shitter, and we've had to do about five retakes with this episode. The new equipment's been great otherwise. So. <laughs> yeah, you can get the best equipment in the world, but we're still learning how to do this. We'll get there, folks. We'll get there. We are your working fans podcast. We're going to do everything to bring you the best entertainment every week and recap all the rest of it for you. Talk about the important stories like Chelsea Green. Yeah. <laughs> and guys, you as always, you know where to find us at fans working on Twitter at Dave and AJ at Working Fans Pod or Dave and AJ and Working Fans Podcast on Facebook, Working Fans Wrestling underscore Pod on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling Pod at Gmail dot com, and give us some feedback. We sprung for better yeah. sound equipment. Let us know how we sound. Maybe subscribe to the YouTube. Take your grandma's YouTube. Subscribe to it. Either way, pump our numbers up, and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast with Dave and my boy, AJ. And we got a controversial subject we want to talk about today. Polarizing individual, the late ultimate warrior. AJ, are you ready for this? Absolutely. I think we need to come up with a catchy name for this segment. Maybe like, are they as good as we remember? Yeah, or um, something like the self-destruction of the ultimate weight. No, wait, that might have been taken. We can't call it that. We can't call it that. Call, with the ultimate warrior, we could call it, were they the drizzling shit? <laughs> Well, I got a few. Before I get to my opinion and your opinion, I reached out to a few fans. Here's what some people had to say. Zach wasn't a huge fan, but he did love the face-off Warrior had with Hogan at the 1990 Rumble and has some memories of him as the Dingo Warrior. Well, all right, AJ, a little comment on the Dingo Warrior. How about that? The first place I remember him is coming into Texas and feuding down there. He was the good guy. He was the champ, uh, I believe, right after Rick Rude left. He was the champion down there as the Dingo Warrior. So he feuded with um, Skandar Akbar and Percy Pringle. And, and it was an interesting time period in Texas. Yeah, that was the uh, heyday of world class, correct? <laughs> yeah, but what world class did well for him was they kept all of his matches extremely short. They did. And that certainly was not the heyday of world class, by the way. Exactly. And he certainly wasn't... Uh, work rate that they were used to down there in texas no they did have a lot of big characters focused on down there i think you'll be more in line with what scott thinks scott said well maybe not this first part he was more of a hogan guy <laughs> favorite memories the self-destruction of the warrior dvd and then he said just kidding it was when papa shango made him vomit and when that black shit drifted on his head <laughs> so i figured that sounds right up your alley as usual, shout right on. <laughs> now, Randy sent something in. He was a Hogan guy, but not as much as one of his friends was. I don't think he gave me the friend's name. But Hogan versus Warrior at Mania was his better memory of him. And he was a little disappointed that his WCW run wasn't better. 
And one other person I want to get to before we talk, Jake, said he did love Warrior as a kid, but his memories are a little all over the place. Like, in terms of, like, he remembers Warrior beating Honky Tonk Man, but also the Papa Shango stuff was also very famous for him. And he said he was also terrified when Undertaker stuck him in the coffin. As AJ, I know you were terrified and holding your breath at the time as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was terrified he was going to make it out of the car. Yeah. Now, I think there's something to me that's said about this, though. When you look about it, like, Jake was a Warrior fan as a kid, but even Jake's memories, like, yeah, he remembers Honky Tonk, but you also kind of remember the goofy stuff, like Papa Shango. So, here's the thing about the Ultimate Warrior. Mm. I think people tie in his different runs and forget that there were spaces and gaps in between. Oh, yeah, a lot of spaces and gaps. I mean, when you think about the Papa Shango, the years in between, Papa Shango's not until what, 93, 94? I was thinking my 92, but it's around there. But you're talking about a gap, and people forget that the Ultimate Warrior, because of his behavior, not showing up, not being a company man, that after he lost the world title, that he was gone back and forth to WWE, and that there's been like six months, seven months gap in between storylines. And he became very unpredictable. You know what's funny is we talk all the time about guys that the WWE mistreats and, you know, doesn't do anything with. There's a few guys... Vince McMahon has been very generous and almost too forgiving with. A guy I want to cover in the future, Jeff Hardy comes to mind. Psycho Sid comes to mind. <laughs> and Ultimate Warrior is right there. I mean, this guy got a lot of chances. Even with his behavior, Shawn Michaels is one of those guys. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. No, no, no. I'm not saying performance-wise. No, I know. But Sean, with his behavior and with his professionalism at different times, through the years dealing with other talent, he's one of those guys who, if a lesser talent had pulled the same shenanigans, would not have been given the chances that Shawn Michaels got. Right. And I would say in the case of Warrior and Sid, for them it was more the look and probably the timing of when they pulled this stuff, too. Oh, absolutely. you got to remember, both of their time periods, not Warrior's first time period, when Warrior won the belt the first time was not a down period for the WWF. The WWF at that point, with the WrestleMania with Hogan and Warrior, was actually a bright point in their history. Right, but... However... Yes. The sick time period and later incarnation of the Ultimate Warrior, I think, was just Vince McMahon trying to find the next Hulk Hogan. I agree, and I'll tell you this, too. I was a Warrior fan as a kid. For me, I can look back at it honestly now. It was the music, it was the presentation, and the look that got me. It, it resonated with me as a child. It was super intense. But, man, you go back and you realize, like, uh, this stuff, like, in a, it's, it's like Goldberg. Like, it's not really meant for a long match, and there's not a lot of layers to this guy. All sizzle, no steak. To quote Bruce Pritchard, Unfortunately, the entrance was amazing. Yeah. But then the bell rang. The bell rang. That damn bell had to ring, unfortunately. There's a lot more to the Ultimate Warrior. Hmm. There's a reason why he's not remembered fondly by a lot of the boys. A, he wasn't safe with his opponents. Yeah. He didn't seem to genuinely care whether or not he was hurting his opponents. He, he wasn't working with them. There's so many people, including the honky-tonk man, who tell stories 
about him literally just grabbing him by the dick to do the press slam. I mean, even Barry Horowitz, who was on this podcast before, talks about when Warrior gave him crap for not going up right with the uh, press slam. And Horowitz was like, I had no problem going up for anybody's press slam. This was not my fault. Lex Luger had press slammed me several times. Yeah, I can tell you as somebody who has executed on both sides of the press slam, being up in a press slam and delivered press slam, you don't have to grab the guy by his dick to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people have nice things to say about Warrior. He's kind of the opposite of Ricky Steamboat. Unfortunately... Let's get into a deep dive here into the Ultimate Warrior, because I'm going to talk psychology with you. Sure. Do you think that there was something with the Ultimate Warrior where it was his belief system or his belief in himself that made him feel that he was more important than others and that's one of the reasons why he didn't really care if he showed up or if he actually did the jobs for people or how much he was willing to give in the ring. Okay, so based off of what we heard, because we don't know this man personally, we didn't. And I will say this, I did hear, unfortunately, when he passed away, that he had corrected a lot of things with people and it did look like it was starting to be a better turn for him. I do want to throw that out there. But did he do that because he was realizing that something was wrong inside his body? Man. There's all kinds of stuff that says that right before you go, that whether you know or don't know, that you know. The timing of that interview that he gave where it was like talking about his legacy and everything and then he died like the what, the very next day? Yeah, he was, he was what, coming from the airport. They set up for gas or whatever. He didn't feel well and he was gone. Yeah. Now, we, I jumped ahead, so I want to answer your question, too. So based off of what we heard from people, my impressions of that type of person having worked, you know, with people like that before a little bit, I, I think I have an understanding. He's probably actually a really insecure guy who naturally had some gifts, but because of his insecurities, he overcompensated and he overshadowed a lot of times and he would push people away. I would say he was probably someone who was socially inept a little bit. And maybe he just doubted himself a lot. Uh, that's what I think almost, in there. It almost reminds me of the old stories of the bullies, where people bullied to kind of overcompensate. So he jacked up his body, got himself all muscular, is compensating for whatever shortcomings he might have, and in doing so, really just pushing people away and becoming inconsistent. I mean, it's warrior police. The man changed his name to Warrior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally would get pissed off at people if they called him anything but warrior. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about there's a lot of psychological stuff that might have been going on there on his life at different times. And it's funny, like when I talk to some of these wrestlers we've got to interview, like some of the things you hear about the keys to success with people are timing in this world, but also, you know, being dependable and, you know, getting along with your coworkers. And here's a guy who didn't do two out of that three. However, this is an example when timing and just having the right look and right presentation sometimes can really push you. As for his WCW run, which I know we all remember uh, fondly, <laughs> yeah. he, there's a lot of interviews out there with material from Eric Bischoff, and obviously you have to take anything with a grain of salt from Eric Bischoff. Yes. But... He's very clear about the fact that he would have liked to have done more with Warrior, but Warrior wasn't willing to really do anything other than what Warrior saw as his vision. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something. And go ahead. Basically, Warrior had a vision as to where everything should go and what his character was, and he wouldn't listen to anything other than that. I'm going to ask you something here. 
<laughs> this is not so much about Warrior, but it did involve him because we hear Eric deny this on 83 Weeks. Your opinion, based off what we heard of these two individuals, based off of what you saw, was Warrior brought into WCW just so Hogan could get his win back? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I know Bischoff says no. Right. That he would never bring somebody in to do that. Sure. But I, but I say if Hulk Hogan says, hey, Eric Bischoff, jump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was really nothing else this guy did there. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no record whatsoever of Eric Bischoff ever saying no to Hulk Hogan. Mm. So I find it hard to believe. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's saying that Hogan would never have proposed that idea, but <laughs> there are people who disagree. Well, see, now, here's what I picture, brother. Yeah. I picture Hulk Hogan coming to Bishop and going, hey, Bishop, Eric, you know what would do big business? A rematch from WrestleMania. Right. Warrior. You know what would do even bigger business? This time I go over. Right. <laughs> Set up the third match, brother. Oh, what? He doesn't want to do business? Ah, let's just get rid of him. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure that's how they fish into Warrior. Oh, I'm sure, too. Do this match, and then we're going to do the third one where you'll go over, and that way you end up on top again, but at least I get a little heat back. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I could definitely, it would not surprise me. Like I said, I'm sure Eric would deny this to his blue in the face, and he would point out that we weren't there, but it definitely looks like that. And, and, here's, the, and here's how you get Warrior. You play, you play the Warrior's ego. Hey, last time it was good guy versus good guy, so you were only so much of a hero. This time, it's bad guy Hulk Hogan mm. so you're not only going to be the warrior you're going to go back to being the ultimate hero uh, I mean too you picture him like hey you do the third match and then maybe we do a mega babyface match with you versus Sting the two partners that never got to wrestle in separate companies you know absolutely and to be fair though I will say this to be fair though. I mean, from Eric, for, to be fair about Eric, if that was even talked about, Warriors certainly didn't do himself any favors with possibly one of the worst <laughs> nonsensical promos of all time on his debut Nitro. That I remember being a Warrior fan as a kid, and I remember Warriors promos not always making the most sense, but being short and intense. Whereas this one was just long, nonsensical, and he went through a damn commercial break, I want to say. I blame the Ultimate Warrior for the uh, promos we have now. I thought you were going to say he might have been someone who could have benefited from a scripted promo. Maybe. <laughs> I'm saying that without his nonsensical promos, you might not have the need for the scripted promos we have now. Yeah. Watching that going, oh, fuck, we can't let this go on. Mm. Maybe Scott Steiner, too, even though Scott Steiner was a good promo. He was known to a lot of things few fly, too, that you might have want to have a scripted promo. <laughs> well, the problem with Scott Steiner was is that you couldn't put him on a PG show. Right. Because if you didn't script his promo, next thing you know, he's talking about booties and assholes. Mm. And, yeah. Yeah. Now, um... But at least you, under, but at least you understood Scott. However, obviously we're... I mean, I was a fan growing up. You were never a fan. But, I mean, Warrior, man, where does he rank in wrestling? He was definitely an attraction for a little while. All right, so it pains me to say this. There's one point, obviously, where, he, you know, he's the guy. Yeah. He's the person they're putting the rocket to, and, you know, he's going to take Hulk Hogan's spot. And so Vince obviously saw enough in him to do that. 
So you have to give him credit for that. And obviously there's a huge following out there. Otherwise, I wouldn't get as aggravated as horrible as he was. Because hmm. to this day, there are still morons that will tell me, No, I love the Ultimate Warrior! <laughs> and I just want to slap him. So... When you're going to rate... So when you're going to rate the Ultimate Warrior, I think you have to put um probably in personality the top 20. Mm-hmm. How about you? Where are you, where are you putting him? He's an attraction. I don't know how you why you rank him, but I will say this. I think I know the class he's in. He's in there with Goldberg, Sid, kind of guys like that. A more successful attraction who had a really good run, but ne- wasn't necessarily long. So I think you and I will probably agree on this. His work rate with Goldberg, probably around the same level. Yeah. Do you think Sid actually works better? Yeah. I mean, it depends on different points of the career, but if you take Sid at his best, Goldberg and Warrior all at their best work weight, yeah, I would go with Sid. He may... Sid's a catch-as-catch-can genius. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that he had some very good matches, and I know that they're with guys that obviously could go, whether it was a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels. He had great matches with those guys. Yes, and... Sid was never going to be a guy to pull a great match out of someone. No, and there's a good match Goldberg had with Dallas Page, and Warrior had a really good match with Randy Savage, but it was two guys who could really lead them. To say who's a better worker between Warrior and Goldberg is a little tougher. I want to say Goldberg's in-ring style was a little more exciting. However, Goldberg was known to hurt people. I think I've swayed you a little bit because what the debate, and people won't know this, obviously, hmm. the debate that we had for years was not Goldberg and Warrior. Our debate was always Lex Luger versus Warrior. So, yeah, looking back at that, yeah, Luger was a better worker because Luger was safer than a lot of those guys, too. And I think that that's what gives it the nod for me. As a kid, I could tell you when we debated this, when we were in our early 20s and late teenage years, I think it was basically coming down to who our favorite was of the two. Sure. And I was debating for Lex Luger and you were debating for the ultimate warrior. Right. But but the Goldberg one's a little tougher just because Warrior did hurt people, but Goldberg, he severely hurt some people. Uh, Goldberg ended Bret Hart's career. Yeah. So... That's not a good... Now, I will say Goldberg's a better promo, especially at this point in his career. Not, you know, that Warrior can debate him, but, you know. career that he wasn't... Oh. So, here's the difference, and this is why I think that Goldberg's less safe. Goldberg was using moves that were much higher impact. Yeah. Like the kick and stuff of that nature. That it takes a certain level of expertise to pull off without hurting someone. Whereas Ultimate Warrior was taking simple wrestling holds. And was actually making those hurt people. Right, right. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior was hurting people with moves that you lose in your first week. It's probably preference. I'll give a slight nod for Warrior for staying in his lane. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you. But you know what? To wrap up on the Ultimate Warrior, I think we can both agree that over his career, his biggest hindrances is not willing to grow not willing to actually be there and be a team player and just be the opposite of what we talked about a couple weeks ago with Bobby Heenan. Right. Bobby Heenan was willing to do whatever it took to get talent over and whether it was managing, whether it was bumping his ass off, whether it was being funny, being the straight man, Bobby Heenan was your go-to guy and he was always very giving. Yeah, and nothing to be a lesson too. We could agree on the fact that Ultimate Warrior was the complete opposite, that he was very selfish 
and that he was never very given. No, and let this moral be a lesson to you. Kurt Angle, one of the greatest in-ring workers of all time, was able to laugh at himself, and that's what made him even better at times and versatile. And this is where a guy like Warrior didn't have that in him, I think. Going based off what we were saying before, psychologically, what we think and what we know of the guy, he doesn't look like a guy who would have been able to play the fool too often. And, well, that goes back to insecurity and taking himself so seriously that he just wasn't willing to actually expand who he was and to grow the character. And yeah. Instead of him becoming and growing as a character and growing the Ultimate Warrior as a character, I think that he honestly believed that he became the warrior. Yes, and so to put a bow on this, are they as good as they as we remember? Honestly, unfortunately, in this case, not so much. All right. Tune in next time, guys. We're going to figure out a name for this segment. Hopefully it's not worthy the drizzling ships. And we look forward to hearing from you. This is AJ. And this is Dave. You can go straight to hell. Well, I'm a working man, here for working fans, and I'm going to tell you what, if we're the part of the plan, we're part of the plan, they first not last, it is called the Working Fair Podcast, where they get questions, and they get answers, and you can't see them, but they got answers. They are the ones in the place to be, you can see them all, and all you'll see, they got the answers, the wrestling guests. And they are, yes, they got to be the best. The guy got a voice outside of the world. He be rocking, they rocking their girls. So I was thinking like this. They take them to task. They're listening to the Working Man Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the official greatest theme song ever. Oh, shit. Listen to that. Fading it in. Alright guys, you know what it is. We stepped it up with new equipment. This is the 531, where we take our top five list on a particular subject. We debate it down to a top three. And Zach, we don't debate it down to a top one. We debate that number one spot. Who is the king of the fucking mountain? And this week, we are talking top ECW wrestlers. Now, it, I mean, I think it'd be fair to say that ECW is a fairly big promotion as we were coming up, correct, guys? Well, I like ECW. I might like a little more to do. We're kind of old. I think we grew up more on Crockett, AWA, UWF. But ECW, it was probably the most hype in the magazine for us. It was definitely one of those things. Like, I just couldn't wait to watch ECW. Maybe I built it up too much. So, like, when I got to see it on CNN, it wasn't the best. But, like, the tape trading stuff, I remember AJ got his hands on when he just got out of the military. A little fun fact, he was in the military. He got some stuff like the Milenko Guerrero Classic, and that was just amazing. And I still remember that stuff to this day. I think we might be in the minority because our best memories of ECW, I think, have a tendency of being towards that technical side and not necessarily towards the blood and, blood and gut side. Yeah, I'm RVD, Jerry Lynn, a lot of that stuff was like my favorite. Like I said, Milenko Guerrero. I did like the Ray Psychosis dream, but that was because that was the first time I ever seen the aerial like that mixed in with stuff. That was pretty good. Well, it was also the first time we ever saw Chris Benoit break someone's neck. Ah, yes, I remember you were not too happy about that. You were kind of cringing about that. And then Joey Styles literally showed it again and did like the Madden. Teleprompter, and it was exactly how he broke that move. That 
<laughs> yeah, I had I had just a little behind the scenes. I had just started wrestling at that point, and to see somebody injured like that and knowing what it could do, yeah, it made me cringe a lot. That match yeah. is actually featured on the Benoit DVD from WWE. As a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the few times the WWE will ever feature Sabu. <laughs> That's very true. But guys, let's get into this list. We got this brand new sound equipment. We're sounding fucking fresh. Randy from Ooh. Randy Osgood. Don't worry where the fuck he's from. He's our number one fan. <laughs> he's got Taz, Terry Funk, Rob Van Dam, Tommy Dreamer, and Mikey Whiprack. What do you guys think about that list? Ooh. Interesting, right? Interesting. Uh, it's an interesting list. I mean, the fact that he included Mikey Whipwreck in there. Obviously, Mikey was very loyal to um, ECW. I'm just not sure he belongs in that big of a spot. No, nah, I got a soft spot for Whipwreck, I guess. I, I like Whipwreck, but he wouldn't be in my top five. No way. Everything else, everything else on that list is solid, though. Do you think it's a chance that it could be the generational divide? Could it be maybe somebody that's younger? Whipwreck came at a time where maybe he was just so cutting edge that they were like, oh, wow, that is somebody to make note of. Well, with him being a little younger, too, he would have seen the later side of ECW. So at that point, you're talking about Whipwreck, Perino, and those guys being more of a featured act than they were earlier on. Yeah, yeah he was uh, he was ECW's one, two, three kid. Man. He just they built him up as a underdog guy who was getting beat every week, and then he got a big win. But I don't know. I mean, I like him, but I don't. Do I like that. I like that. Mikey started off as being as skinny as the one, two, three kid, and by the end of his run, he looked like he had eaten James Mitchell. Mm. <laughs> Whipwreck actually does a podcast, I believe, with Jerry Lynn on the MLW Radio Network that I don't listen to all the time, but Whipwreck is an entertaining listen. I tell anybody that can find it, go out there and check it out. Now, AJ, I got your list. And I was going to say, that's weird because I would expect um, Jerry Lynn to be the personality out of this Oh shit, he's calling you up right now. He wants a spot. Uh, yeah, I forgot to put Dude Out to Serve, and uh, Dallas Texas is trying to get a hold of me. Goddamn, those Von Eric boys. They want in. The funny thing is, it's actually you and me now, Joe. I've got to call Dave back. He dropped us for um, Dallas Texas. He dropped out? Oh That's- shit. Yeah, he dropped out of the call, so that better be one of the Von Eric boys. I'm going to try and call him back real quick and attach him back to the call. Hold on one second. Martin's potato bread is coming calling. Hey, Dave, welcome back to the program. <laughs> Do not disturb is going on right now. <laughs> that better than one of the Von Eric's in order for you to um, drop us. I would try to hang up, but uh, <laughs> the Von Eric can wait. <laughs> no, they can't. Dave's like the old. Dave's like the old time who's like, damn the technology. <laughs> I know the he Von went Eric's to. Wait, it, he went to hang up on them, and instead he hung up on us. <laughs> he actually ended up hanging up on. He actually, he actually ended up hanging up on both of us. They tipped us off and the Von Eric. Thank you, Dave. Jesus. <laughs> I'll never work in this town again. Anyway. 
<laughs> All right, so getting back on track, AJ, you had Raven, Terry Funk, Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, and Taz. It's not a bad list. Absolutely. We'll talk, we'll talk about my list when we compare it with um, everybody later on, but I'm going to tell you that to me, the important one there for the fundamental and the growing of ECW was Terry Funk having the legitimacy for promotion early on. Yep. Uh, Mike Flynn turned in a list. He had Raven, who I believe Raven was his all-time favorite. It was one of his all-time favorite. And if I'm not wrong, wasn't that one of Jake's all-time top favorite ECW characters too? I absolutely right. I know that that was one of Jake's favorites. Because I remember it was a question when we interviewed Jake, but I couldn't remember if the person asking the question was the bigger Raven fan. Or if Jake was. No, it was it was Jake. Jake was. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean given I'm that I'm pretty sure he was more of a Johnny Polo fan, but I think he liked Raven too. Either way, given that literal reference, it just makes sense with Jake. But the rest of Mike Flynn's list, he goes Raven, R V D, Taz, Shane Douglas, and Sabo. Mm. Uh, hard to argue any of that. Jake got us a list. He has Raven, Taz. RVD, Sabu, Shane Douglas, and it wouldn't be Jake if he didn't have a sixth or seventh on his list, and he's got the Dudleys and yeah. New Jack. Now, other than the honorable mentions, I think he has the exact same list as Mike Flynn. He does, yes. Luckily, luckily, yeah, luckily for Jake, he always does the eight three one, so it's not too bad. <laughs> hey. well, what about Scott from Bala now? Let's he's check him out. I was going to say, he's, a, he's staying far enough away from our gimmick, but... <coughs> Scott from Voluntown had RVD, Sandman, Taz, Sabu, and the Dudleys. Yeah. Right. Wow. He was going to put Dreamer, but it had to be singles, but he was into the Dudleys. And I thought it's interesting because Jake wanted to mention the Dudleys, and Scott mentioned the Dudleys. So the Dudleys itself are uh, getting a lot of play. I think that's the first time we've ever done a. Um, you know, a best of list that wasn't a tag team where we had a tag team mentioned twice. Well, wait a minute, because if you mentioned the Dudley's ECW, you're not talking about a tag team. You're talking about like twelve people. Well, there's a faction. Yeah, I was going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, you got you got uh, Stutter and Dudley. That might have been Bubba. Uh, Dances with Dudley. Uh, Sign guy Dudley. Big Dick it, Dudley, everybody's favorite. I was going to say, yeah. how are we leaving Big Dick Dudley out of this? Oh, uh, we're never leaving Big Dick out of this. He's always the life of the party. I, w is but this a new he, gimmick to go along with the good pussy bit? <laughs> Big Dick Unfortunately, Big Dick is dead. Oh, no. Mm. R.I.P. Uh, Jesus, why Why do you got to bring down the mood of the 531? Because I'm so fucked up. I'm looking at this next list, and I don't know whose list it is. I wrote faves, so I don't know who the fuck that is. I uh, I sent you I sent you Jesse's list. Do you have Jesse? Mm. Is it RVD, Jerry Lynn, Mike Awesome, New Jack, and the Dudleys? Nope, nope. Jesse's list is right next to it. I don't know who the fuck faves is. Well, that's a list. Who knows? Folks, we got we got new equipment. We didn't get smarter overnight. I'm sorry. But Jesse from New Hampshire 
It was his birthday last week. We fucked up, left him off the 5-3-1. I took it so hard. I got a box of gimmicks filled up, ready to go his way. I just got to get a mailing mailing label on it. But I'm pretty sure you can just ship it to New Hampshire and they'll know where he is. <laughs> just drop it off in the they corner. <laughs> drop it they off in the corner of that one horse town that he lives in. <laughs> the four people in the town will fight over the box. <laughs> God, like three of them are his family too, so hopefully he goes over. But anyways, enough shit talking about New Hampshire. We love Jesse up there. His list is RVD. Mm. Mike Awesome, yeah. Sandman, Terry Funk, Shane Douglas. Mike Awesome making the list was a nice touch. I feel like he could have made more lists, but, you know, so many good talent in ECW, but Mike Awesome was definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, and it's... Another big dick that's dead. Oh... All right, P. <laughs> it's tough because, like, some of these guys were important for, like, the promotion... And then some of mm-hmm. these guys were just like your personal favorites there. Now we Well, two things about Mike Awesome. Real quick about Mike Awesome. One of the things that stuck out was that legendary rival and rival with Masato Tanaka absolutely brutalized each other and absolutely a how to on to get yourself a concussion. Like those chair shots are ridiculous. And the other thing with Tanaka is I'm sorry, but Mike Awesome is he's probably involved in one of the most important matches in ECW history where he was a WCW contracted wrestler that lost the ECW title to a WWF contracted wrestler at the ECW recent. Yeah, that was that. Yeah, between, yeah that's, that was a big moment. I can still remember that one as, like it happened yesterday. He lost uh, it to Taz, you goof. Whatever. <laughs> and it's that weird time where like, there was a lot of sharing of talent. There was a lot of contracts. It was a lot of that double dealing yeah. that Paul Heyman was doing that he was able to get these guys that were under contract for, like, favors owed well, or other things. That wasn't totally the thing there. Mike Awesome actually went to WCW while he still had the ECW title, and there was a contract dispute. So to settle, they had him go drop the belt at the ECW arena, and they brought in Taz, who had a good relationship. They had to go into a pitch with man, obviously, too. <laughs> God, I, I think this that, might be one of the few times that Dave's ever schooled me on knowledge. Good, good luck well, on that, Dave. I try to, I, I try to be humble, Jeff. You know, <laughs> I think me and Dave can both also agree. Mike Boston's best one is as the fat lady thriller. That's uh, a fat chick thriller. Show some respect. <laughs> Have some class. I mean, I would debate that his best run was almost his MLW run that we're going to cover eventually here. But he he really made a name for himself in ECW, and that Masato Tanaka feud is definitely one to be seen. Now, we got a few lists coming in from Rockin' Randy's Rockin' Wrestling Group. The first one is from Brian Huff, and he had RVD, Dudley's, New Jack, Raven, and Shane Douglas. Every time I hear the Dudley's, I'm getting more and more pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want. You want they got they know how to produce Well, <laughs> shit, this is gonna be a long yeah, list for you then, because Kevin Dignam <laughs> from Rockin' Randy's Rockin' Wrestling Group had Taz, RVD, yeah. Rhino, Raven, <laughs> and everybody's favorite world-renowned tag team. The most decorated tag team in WWF history, the Dudleys? 
Yeah, kind of absolutely. <laughs> One of my favorites. <laughs> well, we go into that. When we actually debate this down, you're going to find out why this is pissing me off. <laughs> They're great heels. Anyway. Nick Matrano from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group had RVD, Shane Douglas, New Jack, Taz, and AJ. You're never going to see this coming. Spike Dudley. Woo, Spike Dudley. The runs up the letter. <laughs> Ian Totten from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group had Sabu, Damn. RVD, Terry Funk, Two Cold Scorpio, and Taz. Too cold. You can tell. You can tell me and Dave are both actually happy with that one. We love Two Cold Scorpio. Oh, who oh, yeah. doesn't? Actually, now that I'm looking at these lists, this faves list that I couldn't previously remember who it was, I'm pretty sure that's mm-hmm. our buddy Josh Dunn. I don't know how I didn't write his name down. It's been a long week, guys. <laughs> now Ryan Damon uh, from Ryan Damon from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group had Terry Funk, Taz, Shane Douglas, Raven, and Chris Candido, a name we haven't heard yet. Uh, another one. Rest in peace. Another one who passed away too soon. I love Chris Candido, but these are supposed to be the best freaking names and the biggest names of ECW. <laughs> I, to me, I, I think I it's think, sometimes who people Donna's encountered. Chip. Did you just say something Bobby about Donna's the fucking Body Donnas? Yeah, Body Donnas gift was ECW, as you know. Chris Candido was number three in his stable. He wasn't even number one in his stable. <laughs> but he wasn't even number one in his own bedroom, sadly, man. Exactly. <laughs> now, Shard Johnson from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group had Taz, wow, RVD, Perry Saturn, Shane huh. Douglas, and the most decorated tag team in the United States, <laughs> maybe in all of America, the Dudleys. Woo! The Dudleys and ECW weren't even bigger than the Eliminators. How do you put just Perry Saturn? Wait, 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 wait. We'll argue that later. I, I could argue that the Dudleys weren't bigger than the Eliminators, though. They weren't necessarily a, a better all-around technical team, but the they had The Dudleys in ECW, not the Dudleys with their whole WWE career. <laughs> the Dudleys, they were like eight-time tag champs in ECW, I want to say. They didn't even only be together. They... They were like the free birds. They freaking located people in the house. Well, listen. Anybody who gets on pay-per-view and points out fans in the arena, and as we got a mother who taught her daughter how to suck dick, is not right in my book. All right. Now, I'm going to bring you guys my list. I'm, I'm going to start off with New Jack because I just recently read his biography. And if you guys want to read a good wrestling book, Look up New Jack's book. If for nothing else, just to find out his opinion of Benoit and the Benoit family murders. Number two on my... How to Kill a Man? I swear I didn't do it. Oh, no. Let me... We're actually going to take... How I would have killed that kid. We're actually going to take time out on the air for me to get into my Kindle real quick and find this. Because I'm currently reading oh, the Martha yeah. Hart book, which is amazing, by the way. Mm. By the yeah. way, if you're looking up the definition of ghostwriter, 
You might want to check out the actual. All right, it's called Memoir <laughs> of a Pro Wrestling Extremist, and it's New Jack and Jason Norman. And I wouldn't doubt that he had to form some of his words, but it almost gives you an idea that there's a little more of a person behind New Jack than you would have ever thought with his character. I mean, the person behind New Jack loves violence and drugs. That doesn't change. But it's a very good He's book. He's actually a really good book. What, what's his go-to recipe? Spaghetti. <laughs> 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 Who the fuck might go? I'm really glad I asked that question. <laughs> Number two on my list, I had Steve Austin. I know Steve Austin didn't make his name necessarily in ECW and didn't do a whole shit of a lot, but it was the... Those promos are the seed of the Stone Cold character, so that's why I chose to include it, at least. I threw Mike Awesome on my list because he's just a fucking monster. Taz, and then I put Paul Heyman because you wouldn't have the company without... You wouldn't have had the company that long without Heyman. So, let me uh, just say, like, when you said Steve Austin, you're right. He didn't really do much in ECW. But I think immediately, and I'll speak to AJ too, we knew exactly why you put him on the list. It was those promos. And those promos were the start of Stone Cold character that we got on. Now, in fairness, if you're going to put Steve Austin on there, the Nick Foley promos, like King Duty, Dewey, and stuff like that, yeah, those were the there too. Well, and I'll say this. As soon as I said, like, Austin and the promos, Nick popped in my head as well, so... See, I looked at it as an Austin versus Pillman thing. Both guys that didn't do a ton in ECW, but came in and had their run mostly just through personality. Yeah, they were basically like a Goldberg match. Three minutes of great shit. And it almost like really kind of kicked off anything they did afterwards in WWE. So we got one list, Dave. Who are you hiding behind yeah, that curtain, bud? I am ready to give you this list, all right? First off, number one on my list, the guy who closed out ECW, the original ECW SWA champion, the man beast Rhino, all right? Tell that bitch happy Mother's Day, all right? The guy who kicked off the original ECW, Shane Douglas, threw the NWA belt down. He's number two on my list. Number three, perhaps the most dominant ECW heavyweight champion at the time, as, and number four, the guy who probably had the best matches and was all around the best worker in ECW and consistent, RBD. And number five, I got to have this guy on the list. He's the soul of ECW. He's the Dusty Rhodes of ECW. He's Tommy Drew. Very solid. No list. Lance Storm. <laughs> no Lance Storm. <laughs> I think he's number nine on Jake's list. <laughs> now, honorable mention, Dave. N- since you've seen the early MLW that we're planning on reviewing soon, how much is yep. early MLW very similar to like a latter day, almost midday ECW? Carbon copy. It, it was one thing I actually didn't like about the early MLW shows was it felt like it was literally ripping off the original ECW and not having its own identity at the time. Yeah, going to the same arenas, using the same ring announcer. I don't know about the same security, but a lot of the similar things that ECW used, even down to the early MLW tapes were distributed on highspots.com. 
awesome website. It just also happens to be the website that a lot of early ECW stuff got distributed on. And I just wanted to bring up MLW because we noticed how much of a similarity there was early on. And that's something we're going to talk about in those early review shows. Now, guys, guys in, fairness to, in fairness to MLW, they're not the only ones who were doing that in that time period. PZW, before it started doing more of the death matches, was also very much a, a clone of the old ECW. Oh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's just, I, I guess it's just watching the promotion and really wanting to like it, but just feeling like it's the holdovers or trying to keep that feeling of ECW going. Now we've it's got, growing pain. yes, yes. We've got a lot of similar people on these lists. Taz mm. shows up on quite a bit. Raven, RVD. If you, if you guys, mm. yeah, the, the Dudleys do make it on quite a few lists, but if we had to settle on a top three to go forward, it would have to be, what, RVD, Taz... How does Dreamer not make more lists? What about... Was Shane Douglas on quite a few lists? I really like Shane. I think Shane actually got left off a lot of lists. Shane was on more than Dreamer, surprisingly. And you would think yeah. Dreamer would be more important given his role in keeping ECW going throughout the years. You know, when I mean, it made its return... Him, you know what I don't think made anybody's list is one of the guys who was big over the last three years of ECW, Steve Carino. Yeah. Steve yeah. Carino, and he was another one that early MLW really took off with him. And he mm. makes a, a lot of a point in it that some of his early MLW promos make a point to say that a lot of these guys were collecting WWF checks or collecting WCW checks while he was getting checks bounced and bleeding out in Philadelphia rings. So I think when we start covering MLW, AJ's really going to be into the Carino promos early on. One of my, I do like Carino from early MLW, but one of my other favorite things with Carino was actually, believe it or not, his matches with Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. He... I, thought they were extremely, I thought they were extremely entertaining. He was the first person who I saw to take basic moves, make it look like a high spot, and stop into a basic move. I, I yeah. Really yeah, I, I thought you were going to say it. I, I know what you're thinking of. AJ's talking about there'll be a spot sometimes Torino would do in the ring where he'd set up the chair and fans would get crazy because he looked like he was going to drop toe hole again to a chair. But instead, he'd just kick him in the gut and put him in a front face lock and then just sit down on the chair. Love that spot. Yeah, it's a good spot. <laughs> I think what I'm seeing from this list, just, I'm looking up and down. I got a list in front of me, too. I'm seeing RBD. Taz and Sabu is kind of the three guys that pop up a lot for me here. All right, so we'll go with RVD, Taz, and Sabu going forward, noting how important mm -hmm. people like Tommy Dreamer were to kind of being in the oh, yeah. office and keeping it going. Mike Awesome, another guy uh, that we brought up. Well, wait a minute. There's one more person we got to respond about, Raven. Yeah. Raven's character in ECW was over him and Sandman Mm -hmm. over as much as any other promotion in the world. And people tuned in weekly to see what like, people like Raven were going to do. Yeah, and Sandman's another one I would have thought would have popped up on more lists just because of how immortal that entrance is. Mm. 
So, all right. Uh, so I don't know you mentioned that before um, we went into the next three. Because to me, and, and, I, and I know you know this from my list, to me, Raven was more influential than RBD. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because if I was going to take somebody off the list, it's December. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I would take Sabu out of those three also. Yeah, yeah. Are we putting Raven in over Sabu as a last-minute call? I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I just think Raven belongs on that list. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. All right, so for the sake of having a top three now, between RVD, <laughs> Raven, and Taz, who's the first to go? Raven. <laughs> really? Yeah, for me, I, I think it's out of RVD and Taz. I think RVD was the most consistent. Mr. Five Star Wrestling, showing up in other promotions, absolutely extreme. And I think Taz was just the most dominant champion. I'll say it again. I said it before. He was, beat me if you can, survive if I let you. He went undefeated for a while. He had the FTW championship. Taz was just the ultimate, ultimate character in ECW in terms of looking like a legit shoot fighter would kill you. I believe Taz was an absolute badass. Come to find out, he could handle his own, but he was a lot more, he wasn't quite as bad as he was made out. You thought this motherfucker was Brock Lesnar the way they made him out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We can easily go forward with the two of them. I just want to make sure that I'm clear about the fact that to me, Raven was the best character, him and Taz. Yeah. RBD wasn't a character. RBD no. was what you saw on TV. He's a right. stoner who's extremely athletic. I know. I've yeah. watched him on Action Broad Bronson watches Ancient Aliens, and RVD is RVD no matter where he is. It's a great yeah. thing to see. And I think that's, and I think that's yeah. the AJ Ultimate really loved about RVD, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm feeling this right. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> now, the, you know me. I'm all about 420. There you go. Now that we're down to RVD and Taz, oh, guys, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, how great is a pairing of Taz with Brian Cage at the moment? Oh, I like that a lot. Hey, when they tune in for the regular part of the podcast, they're going to definitely hear my opinion on Brian Cage and Taz. I think the pairing is absolutely awesome. Well, at this point, actually, they would have already heard it because usually our 531 comes at the end. Uh, but we're almost yeah. at the end of the 531. Guys, RVD, Taz, who you got going over? I got Taz going over. I know who Agent's got going over all day long. Um, yeah. Let's go First of all, let's tell the people today. We'll, we'll be straight up about this. A, not real big on the weed. B, nope. to me, I always like the legitimate uh, shoot style of wrestling. And Taz was that badass who you believed was going to choke you out or sure. cast you out. And that is everything I love about wrestling. But I will say this. Behind the scenes, RBD made Taz stick a hand. And that didn't work out so well for Taz. So, truth be told, that stoner kid can kick, box, and shoot. However, all right, this is how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to word it. If we're going by who had the bigger, greater career, who was the bigger star, I'm going with RBG. But when I'm going by who personified ECW and had the better run in ECW, it's close, but I got to go with that. 
Guys, I think it's no surprise. I'm big on the weed, but I'm going to choose Taz. So I think we got Taz going over this week. And guys, you you know what the music means. This was another week of the 531. And let's just go out on this beat for a minute now that we got this technology to talk over this. And if you don't agree with us, suck it. That's right. We respect their opinion. <laughs> yeah, we're hey, if they want to find us, where can they find us, AJ? Guys, you can find us on Twitter at the working fan. You can also find us uh, at fans working. With us. You can, at fans working. <laughs> Absolutely. As always, I'm on the ball. Hey, also, it's been so long since we've done these intros, we haven't had to in a while, but thanks for listening, guys.